I'd wake up at like two in the morning and then be like, oh no, I've got to go to work in seven hours or whatever. And then I'd end up dozing off for 45 minutes and then wake up again and do exactly the same thing. Your performance at work does go down because you're worrying about it and you're not getting enough sleep. Welcome to Precarious Parenting, the podcast series for people feeling overwhelmed by family life in general. Do you often wonder whether you're doing it right? Or do you wonder whether it's okay to be just a good enough parent? My name is Marie Arimar, founder of Realization Works, guiding young people and parents back to clearer thinking. And this podcast series provides the opportunity to hear real people sharing real stories about how they manage to see beyond their overwhelm. So today I have one of my most favorite human beings on the planet with me, my nephew, Toby. Hi, Toby. Hi, Marie. So Toby um, and I really want to talk about anxiety, actually. And, um, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Toby. So can you, could you just um, explain your setup? You know, you're living in London at the moment. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I've been working from home since I think the end of March now. So probably the pretty similar to um, a lot of your listeners. Um, so I am currently living um, in North London, recently moved into a new flat. Um, so it's quite a nice, quiet area. So I'm just kind of set up on the kitchen table, a bit of peace and quiet. Um, and it's all going pretty well. And you've moved in with your girlfriend, which is very I exciting. I know, I know. I'm not annoying her just yet, so yeah. it's going there's all right. T- there's time. Um, so tell us about your work. What do you do for work? Um, so I work as a metadata specialist for Universal Music Group. Um, and then my main, the labels I look after are Island Records, which is my main frontline label. Um, and I look after um, a few catalogue labels, so Universal Music Catalogue and um, USM, which is like strategic marketing, so like the Beatles and John Lennon and some other pretty big artists. Brilliant. And, and, and I know that this job has, has been one that you really, you really wanted. And I know that the journey to get it hasn't been straightforward. And that's kind of what we're talking about, isn't it, today? Yeah, definitely. So, so just to sort of set the scene slightly, um, you grew up in Truro in Cornwall in the UK, uh, kind of sleepy town, um, and you, you started to work for a smaller record company. Could you tell us about, you know, maybe your education route and, and how you ended up um, ending up in London? Okay. Um, so I think from kind of early teens, I realized that music was the avenue I wanted to go down. Um, did music at, uh, in school, a GCSE level, um, took a BTEC in music at college, and then went to Falmouth University. Um, after uni, after graduation, um, I was quite lucky really. I had a friend, that, um, a really good friend that was working for a, distribu- a music distribution company, a digital one. Um, kind of badgered him to put a word in with his boss. Um, Ended up getting a job there, worked there for about two and a half years. And during that time, the company just grew and grew and grew as streaming like launched off basically and Spotify became a major thing. 
Um, and then after two and a half years, I was looking after managing about nine people and then I just decided really after spending so much time down there and going to uni in Cornwall as well that I wanted to, you know, get out really and experience um, a bit of a busy lifestyle. So packed my stuff up pretty short notice really. I think I was only kind of in my mind for about three, four months before, uh, moved up to London Um and then, yeah, so that's got a job quite quickly after moving up to London um, for Sony. Um, and that's kind of where I had a little a blip with anxiety. Um, got quite serious. I would say that kind of it was a determining factor in, in leaving Sony for sure. Um, and then kind of took a little time after that, about two years to really get my head in the right place and look after myself. Um, and then got a job at Universal after many applications to different labels. Um, and that kind of takes us to where I am now, really. Right. And, and I, and you know, you have, you have summarized a story which I have found fascinating to watch because you, as you know, you are a constant inspiration to me because you, you, like you say, you didn't have much leading time to move to London and you literally packed your stuff and went. You didn't have anywhere to live. You were sofa surfing. You didn't have a job to go to. And I was surprised because I know that you like to have stability. You know, you like to know, you, you like to know what's what around you. And, and you just went and you, and you, I was so fascinated to watch your journey. And we'll talk about Sony um, a little bit more, um, but even even when the job with Sony ended, you continued to stay in London when I probably would have left. You know, you kept going. You were working in bars. You were earning, you know, I don't know, a, a, a certainly a small hourly rate for London standards, and you didn't ever give up. Now, can you tell me what it was like? for you and you talked about your anxiety sofa surfing with friends trying to be at sony when you knew it wasn't really the job for you you know what was actually going on for you then um i think you're right in what you were saying firstly about um me kind of needing stability um and before i moved up i did i did that did cross my mind quite a lot but i kind of was just like if you need if you really want something you're going to just have to take a risk and staying in cornwall for all that time wasn't really me taking a risk you know there was an opportunity that maybe i would have gone up the ranks in at root note but then would i have looked back and you know regretted not moving away while i was a little bit younger um so i think that at first, the excitement of being in London was just overriding all of the kind of um, anxiety and, and worry I was having about potential, you know, am I going to get a job? Is it going to work out? Where's the money going to come from? How am I going to pay my rent? Um, I think I was sofa surfing pretty much until I got the job at Sony. And then once my first paycheck came in, I moved in with a few friends. Um but I don't think I was so excited about moving up and starting a new life and kind of experiencing new things that the anxiety only really started when things started going wrong at Sony. 
that was when I really started thinking, right, I'd like, what am I going to do here if I lose this job? Um, and that just kind of played into the problem because it's just a snowball effect, isn't it? You start worrying about one thing and then you're worrying so much about that one thing that something else comes into play and then you've got two things to worry about and it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, so, yeah. So how did that actually manifest itself for you? Because I get that. It's like layers and layers of overthinking. Like you say, I'm, I'm worried about this and because I'm focusing so much on worrying about that, now this kind of seems to have toppled Now I need to worry about that. I'm kind of got an idea of juggling all these balls in the air. Yeah. How, you know, how did that anxiety show for you you know, um, you know, was it was it lack of motivation or was it feeling sick? You know, what what was going on for you? The main and the, the hardest thing to deal with um, was lack of sleep. Right. So it started off. I think one of the the main difficulties for me was I didn't really realise that it was anxiety I was having a problem with until it got really bad. I didn't because I'd never experienced anxiety before um, and I was a little bit naive to it. So I just would never find it. Well, I guess I did find it hard to get to sleep. It was more just having a good night's sleep. So I'd, I think in the back of my mind, I was thinking so much about it, even when I fell asleep, that I'd hear in the morning <laughs> and then be like, oh, no, I've got to go to work in seven hours or whatever mm. and then I'd go end up worrying about that for another half an hour end up mm. dozing off for 45 minutes and then wake up again and mm. do exactly the same thing mm. and again it's a it's quite a cruel circle really because after a few days of doing that your performance at work does go down because you're worrying about it and you're not getting enough sleep yeah um, but that's how it manifested mainly um after a little while I started finding it difficult to be around groups of people because I'd worry that people could see that I was anxious and I didn't really want to talk about it to them because I didn't want to, them to think of me as a failure, which in hindsight is so stupid because they were my friends and they never would have thought that anyway. But it's just, it's horrible how your mind can kind of play tricks on you like that, I think. Oh, absolutely. We can, we can construct the most detailed stories and we can believe them, can't we? You know, and it's and it's interesting that you say now, and I and I love the fact that you can spot that your mates would never have judged you in the way that your mind was playing tricks on you. Yeah, as is always the way. You know, once you're kind of looking back on it, and you're and you're over it in a sense, um, and you feel kind of open to go and ask your friends about it. Like, in, I, I asked them. I asked a lot of my friends that from London who were around me at that time, like was it visible that I was having problems? And they were like, no, not at all. Like mm -hmm. you're absolutely, you just seems yourself. And it mm. just, yeah, I think that is always the way really. Did you believe them? You know, when, when you asked them that question, did you actually believe the answer, do you think? I don't know. It's difficult because I would, I thought it was written all over my face because like I couldn't, you know, actually smile without awkwardly smiling because I was just really worried about, you know, showing any kind of emotion. Yeah. Um, so I'm not too sure. It's a difficult one, really, because I guess if they haven't particularly experienced it, then they might not have picked up on it anyway. But I definitely felt myself that I was kind of coming across as or, or definitely showing signs of being anxious or at least kind of, you know, not my normal self. Yeah. And, and, 
and then the job with Sony ended, um, which, although it might not have been the way you would have chosen it to end, it was, it, you know, it was a natural end. It wasn't a disastrous end at all. But, but um, and then, and then you're, as you said, moving into uh, doing bar work, applying for as many jobs as you could. And, and you said to me that I'm always number two. They really like me, but there's somebody else they're giving the job to. You know, how did that play with your anxiety? How, how did that, so having left Sony yep. and then moving through before you got the universal job, how was your anxiety then? Um, so in hindsight, I think that doing a bit of bar work was a real positive step because it got me socializing again. Right. So I knew that because I I'd, I'd kind of worked on and off in bars all throughout university. Before university, you know, I was working as a glass collector and so on and so forth. So, you know, I could do it pretty easily. Mm. And it was actually, a, yeah, definitely um, a, a positive with regards to just getting to like speaking to people again and just realizing I actually was just like a normal person mm. and I wasn't like this like kind of quivering mess that deep down I was worrying I was. Um, but then after a little while of that, I just got my confidence back. Mm. I just kind of convinced myself that it was just a blip. And if it wasn't just a blip, then there was only one person that could fix it anyway. And that was me. Right. Um, so after getting my confidence back, the interviews just seemed to go really, really well. Mm. Um, I think that I can, well, yeah, I mean, I think that interviews generally, if you can connect with the person that's interviewing you, it's kind of most of the job done. Mm. Um, so after doing a couple of interviews that went, well, in my eyes, you know, your comp my confidence just went through the roof because I just thought, well, I know I can do it now. It's just a, a matter of time. And it's just a, essentially a numbers game. You know, if you apply to, if you apply to enough of them, one of them's going to come off, I suppose. That you know, all the while that you're talking, I just listening to you, and I just um, hear strength because I think a lot of people might. Um, um, have suffered, I don't like the word suffer, but suffered with all this anxiety and anxious thinking to the extent that you have, and it might actually stop them from applying for jobs. But there's something that you're saying about when you said, um, when I felt more confident, because I think you had that confidence all the time, but when you remembered it or when you naturally felt in that place, you resonated, you kind of like you said, you connected with the interviewers so much more easily because that's who you naturally are. That's, that's what I see anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that is a part of it. I mean, it's just, it was just, I mean, a lot of the recovery was just coming back into connection with my true self, I suppose, because being not sleeping and worrying is not a part of my personality that I, you know, encourage or ex have really experienced previously or had re previously experienced. So it was just kind of connecting back to my true self and, mm. you know, the person that I knew I was. And, and that's where the confidence came from. Cause as soon as I saw it coming back, it was just like, right, full steam ahead. Let's get back on track kind of thing really. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. And that's one of the reasons why you're one of my best human beings on the planet. <laughs> because you, I, I can, I can see that. And, and, and uh, there's an element of self care in there that I can hear. And, and I wanted to ask you, you know, so I know that you do quite a lot of exercise. So can we just talk about how you physically have um, looked after yourself and when it was really difficult for you with those feelings of anxiety, I know that you, you physically did stuff to, to, to feel better. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So a really important part for me, um, well, there were, there were, I kind of built myself into a routine. So like we were saying earlier, kind of really enjoy stability in my life. So I, at that point, um, set up like a, a routine. So I'd get up in the morning, I'd use Headspace and just kind of do a, a, a small meditation, you know, not prolonged because when you're worrying so much, it can be difficult to focus for, you know, 20 minutes doing a guided meditation. So just kind of like three to five minutes. And then I would cycle to work. And on the way to work, I'd just be kind of trying to get my head into gear, ready to go. Um, and I felt that when I was on my bike or doing some kind of physical exercise, I couldn't worry too much because I was too busy focusing on not falling off. Right. I was too busy focusing on getting to work through central London. So I was, right. I couldn't, I was, I had to think about that. I couldn't just, I couldn't just, you know, go into these circles of self doubt. Um, and then on the way back from work, this was a really good one. I'd always, when, when in the middle of my anxiety, it was, it was the middle of summer, um, which was really helps. And I would take detours. So I'd just add another couple of miles or a few miles onto my commute home and cycle through like Battersea Park and then go up here and here and go do a bit of exploring, like maybe stop off and have a, a quick pint on a Friday night or something like that by myself. Um, and, and that kind of comes down to self-care, I suppose, just like looking after myself. Mm. I mean, if you don't feel up to it, you don't have to surround yourself with other people. I mean, the only opinion that matters is, is yourself in that situation. You're trying to convince yourself, or you're not trying to because, you know, anxiety is troublesome in the sense that you're what you know you don't believe in yourself but you've got to start believing in yourself and spending a bit of time with yourself you know that won't work for everyone but for me you know stopping off at the pub and having a pint by myself or stopping off and just sitting in a park for a bit by myself actually after a while became one of the uh, turning points that kind of helped me to recover as well I suppose Mm, um and then running swimming um did quite a lot of swimming uh what else did i do that's about it really that's not bad i know that you took up boxing for a while yeah so that was actually previous to moving to london Mm. um but i I dare not take that up here because everyone's really hard and i don't want to get beaten up (laughs) Yes, definitely. Now that's self-care if ever I heard yeah, it. That's it. Facial I, care. Absolutely. I know that when I swim, I do love to swim and or any exercise, but when I get into that that flow, my head is completely clear and that's when the answers come. Yeah. And also afterwards, you know, once your endorphins go, mm. you know, that that's a, a real moment of clarity right there, really. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you talk about self-care. I, I think it's vital. And I, and um, 
yeah, it's just really lovely to for you to hear that, to say that, sorry. So I wanted to ask you, um, so people who are listening to this um, may probably have heard episode one where your mum, Claire, and your brother, Barney, talk about the death of your father. Uh, and, and he died when you were 12. And your stepfather, John, is very, very sick at the moment. He's he, your stepfather, but the father to your younger brother, Finley. And he, he, he he's terminally ill. And John, if you're listening, lots of love to you. You, and, and, and other than that, you've got, you know, three women in your lives, I suppose, as your sister, my sister, your mum, Claire, me, and your grandmother. And I guess we're pretty strong women. We're pretty strong-willed, confident women. So I was just thinking about you and, and how you've grown up with that parenting, because I know that as an aunt, you know, I've tried to, to do my best. And I know that your gran is always there for you. How do you feel about that support network? And the, and the second part of my question is, how do you see that influencing you as a future parent, but also, you know, how you might support your younger brothers? Um, so I think it's obviously having you, mum and, and grandma as um, my role models has been um well it's just been a, a you know a complete game changer i mean if it wasn't for that um i don't think i'd be where i am now at all um i think hopefully you know father time's going to come in the next few years um and i think that what i'll take from it or my experiences so far are just to always be there mm. that's the that's the main one it's just embrace you know an openness with my kids you know there aren't any right or wrong answers at the start it's all just kind of like teaching you know all just life experience um i guess it's kind of hard to say really because you know it's a development isn't it it's, it's a process that I'll, I'll learn my strengths as a dad when i become one absolutely um, but for my brothers um I think that just being someone that they can depend upon, um, you know, I don't, I don't let, I try one of my kind of life uh, or one of my main morals is just to be dependable and not um, be flaky. And, and I, I think I was a bit flaky when I was younger, but as I've grown up, I've just really been, you know, the kind of person that always turns up on time. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Mm. Um, and just, you know, you don't have to be there all the time, but when someone needs you, be there. And and, and that's yeah. why I, and that's especially with what's going on at the moment, that's kind of the main thing that I hope Finley thinks of me. Like, I think he, I hope he just knows that when the time comes, like I'm not going to, stay up in London and avoid it I will be there for him yeah absolutely and 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 when um your mum was talking to Barney in in episode one you know she was really saying that it it was about being available for her children through that time of crisis and it's really lovely that that's what you've you've taken from your relationship I guess really predominantly with your mum because 
you know, she's, she's always been available for you. And I think it's okay for me to say that you're most open when you've had a few pints. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, something that I've taken from how mum has, um, put up with me a lot of the time through kind of my, my grief and, and growing up is just kind of patience as mm. well. Just not like everyone, when something traumatic happens like that, everybody grieves and processes it in a different way. And that's something I would look to um, kind of reflect on, on my kids. It's just, it's just patience. Mm, that's lovely. What a lovely thing to say. So, Toby, I, I love talking to you so much. Um, if, you, if you had a message for anybody out there, so if there's a parent listening whose son it seems to be experiencing anxiety, whether they're a young teenager or like you, mid, you know, mid to late 20s, dare I say it, um, or, or if there's somebody younger listening or even a parent who is struggling with their own anxiety at the moment, you know, what would be your message to anybody out there? Look after yourself is the main one. Um, do things that will that you enjoy. Uh, if it takes your mind off it, even for 15 minutes, then it's worthwhile. Mm. Um, and don't be too hard on yourself mm-hmm. because, you know, the worries you have nine out of ten times are conjured in your own head and it's not what people believe at all. Yes. Um, and just... just go at it. Just don't, you know, you've, you've got to just get yourself back on track and take some confidence from it because once you've dealt with it once, you'll know how to deal with it the next time. I still have spates of anxiety now where it's nowhere near as bad as it was back then, but I will wake up at three in the morning worrying, thinking, oh, I should probably have responded to that email before I signed off work last night. And then I have to, and then I just convinced myself and just like, well, no, like, no, you didn't. Yeah. Just do it in the morning. And yeah. it's just, yeah, you just got to just keep on going forwards. Always go forwards, never look back. Uh, it's such a beautiful message. You know, you've just really briefly, you've just reminded me of an experience I had years ago. I was um, um, head of pastoral support at a large further education college. And I had, I was so dedicated to my job and I had all my emails on my phone and I was in bed. It's like half past 10 at night. And I saw an email from a parent and I read it when I was in bed and it was a really angry email. And I was awake the whole night, the whole night. And I went back and spoke to my line manager the next day and he said, why are you reading emails when, you know, before you go to bed? And so what I did directly as a result of that was I took all my work emails off my phone I didn't need them on my phone and it's another example of self-care the tiniest steps are so important aren't they yeah definitely and it's you know the tiny steps that add up to the larger ones really um yeah I definitely agree yeah so I know that you've been really helpful to other people who are thinking about moving to London and are interested in the music industry. And I can think of a couple of people that you've kind of, you know, gone out of your way to kind of um, support them as they make that move. Now, I'm not suggesting you might do that for people who might be feeling anxious, but do you think that you might be available for anybody if they wanted to have a chat with you about this podcast and the message that you've given? 
yeah, of course, hundred um, percent. I definitely can kind of relay my experience um, to other people on how I dealt with it, either on the anxiety level or kind of getting a foot in the door um, with regards to music. Um, so if anyone does want to contact me, um, my email address is uh, tobyhater, all lowercase, so T-O-B-Y-H-A-Y-T-E-R at hotmail.co.uk. And I check that really regularly, so I'll get that to you pretty soon. Lovely. And I'll put that in the show notes so people can see that your email address there. Toby, you are a lovely person and I am so grateful for you to giving me time today and I love you lots. Always a pleasure and I love you too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realisation Works. Subscribe to realisationworks.com to access more resources including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.